Please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Galatians. Some of you have kept your places in Romans, and thank you for doing that because we're going to be looking at each of those passages during the course of the time we have left today. But I want to go back to where we started last week and ended last week in the fifth chapter, verses 16 through 26. And we're going to explore this whole matter of walking by the Spirit in more depth together today. Verse 16 of Galatians 5 in the New American Standard Bible reads this way, But I say, keep on walking by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, Factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, and let me stop here lest I forget it, the construction of the grammar in verse 25 in the original language would yield probably a better interpretation that would go like this, since we live by the Spirit. What we discovered last week and what you perhaps already knew is, That the Spirit is the Spirit of life. It is He who gives us life. The Holy Spirit is vitally involved in our being alive spiritually. It is His work of regenerating power in our lives that brings us from spiritual death and spiritual blindness into the light and into life. So, since we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep on walking by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit all the time is really what this means. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. By way of quick review, we who are followers of Christ are in an ongoing internal battle. This is what this text teaches, particularly in verse 17. The opponents are the flesh and the spirit. The spirit is none other than God, the Holy Spirit. The flesh, we saw, is human personality apart from the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. My flesh is my unsurrendered self. Self is a good word For the flesh, one that we can really relate to. And we understand this is the case all too often. It has been true in my life, and I would suggest 
probably in yours too, if you're serious about following the Lord, all too often it has been true in our lives that our attempt to walk in the Spirit has been thwarted by this ongoing internal battle between flesh and spirit. Now we know who's going to win the battle, ultimately. The Holy Spirit, right? Because He's God. He's going to win the battle. But we still have this turmoil inside of us. Do you ever find yourself saying, I'm going to quit doing this, I'm going to do this, because you know quitting that and doing that are in keeping with God's will, and the next minute you're right back where you were when you started. Does that ever happen to you? Well, it happens to all of us from time to time as we seek to follow the Lord. So the question is, how do we overcome? Well, the answer is given to us here in verse 16. Look at it again. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not, by any means, is the emphasis that is given there in the original language, you will by no means carry out the desire of the flesh. So the answer is rather simple, isn't it, as to how we overcome the flesh? Walk by the power of the Spirit. Easy for you to say, Mike. Easy for you to say, Paul. You don't live inside of me. You don't have the kind of war waging in me, in your life, Paul. Well, Romans 7 would say differently. Paul had the same problem. I have the same problem. But Paul learned, and we together can learn how to overcome the power of the flesh and the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you ready for that? I'm ready for it. I'm tired of living in defeat. And I hope you are too. And the answers are going to be given to us today. In the book of Psalm 143.10, David, a man after God's own heart, prays this prayer. He says, let your good spirit lead me. He had that issue too, evidently. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For the sake of your name, O God, revive me. And in your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. Do you think God answered that prayer for David? Yes. Do you believe God can answer that prayer for you? Yes. He can lead you and will lead you by His Spirit. And for His sake, get this right. It's not for your sake or my sake primarily that He leads us and that He gives us victory. It's for His sake. He has so much at stake in whether I am following the Spirit, if I'm leaning on the Spirit, if I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to lead me. Because what He will have in you and me and in us as a body of believers is a picture of Jesus Christ. He has a portable Christ in you and me when we are led by the Spirit, so that Christ can minister to people through you and me. We often forget, at least I do, you probably don't forget, but I forget it frequently. When I read the New Testament, I forget that those to whom books like Galatians was written, or were written, I should say, I forget that these people are like first-generation believers. And they're babies. Notice in verse 7 of Galatians chapter 5. We saw this a couple of Sundays ago. Paul says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? 
You see, they had the problem, didn't they? And when you came to Christ, do you remember when you came to Jesus? Didn't it seem marvelous? And all of a sudden you had this surge of new life within you and you felt like there was nothing you could not conquer for Christ with Christ's power. You felt that. You sensed that. And then something happened. You were running well. And then you quit walking in the Spirit by the power of the Spirit. The great revival, the last great revival that has been experienced in the world, a worldwide revival, took place in 1904. It began then in Wales, in Great Britain. In one year, 100,000 people were converted. That's a lot of people. And Wales was not that highly populated. 100,000 people converted. The revival spread to England and north to Scotland. And it's estimated that in the next two or three years, one million people were saved. The revival made its way across the Atlantic to North America and hundreds of thousands were saved. It made its way to Asia and to Africa and to Latin America. It made its way all over the world. Literally millions of people were saved. But do you know, the effects of that died out. Not immediately. But within 20 years, the effects were gone, which raises a very important question. What happened? What happened? Were these people not saved? Did they have a false conversion? What happened? It's what happens in our personal lives. We are running well, and then we get sidetracked through circumstances, and more importantly, we get sidetracked by our own Flesh. Remember what the flesh is. It's my personality apart from the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. It's my unsurrendered self. It's your unsurrendered self. And we have to make a practice of surrendering ourselves to the Lord. Now what I'm going to talk about today is how can we maintain... I'm ready to get into a maintenance mode. Are you maintaining a consistent walk by and in the Spirit of God. Well, let's begin with looking at some things that we need to stop. There's, there are three things that we saw in these verses which we read together from Romans which have to do with stopping certain behaviors. The first of which, and we'll begin in Romans 13... Verse 14, the second part says, Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So we must stop providing opportunities for our flesh to act out. And that would suggest that we know what the deeds of the flesh are. And that list, which is simply a suggestive, not a complete list, that Paul gives in verses 19 through 21 of the book of Galatians, which we read, that list is one which we need to visit periodically and remind ourselves of what those behaviors are. Let me take two, for example. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee immorality. And I got curious. I had known once before, but you know how it is when you get my age, you begin to forget things. And So, flee immorality, and immediately I wondered, I said, I wonder if that word is the identical word which Paul uses in Galatians 5.19 when he chooses for the first word of those words, 
the word immorality. And lo and behold, it's the same word. Pornia is the word. Do you hear a word which is derived from that? Or a family of English words derived from that? Pornography, pornographic. The idea is any kind of unlawful sexual behavior, and that would be according to the rules that God has established for proper expression of our sexuality. God invented sex. God knows it is pleasant and pleasurable. He meant it for those purposes in addition to procreation. He is the one who established man, male and female. And he's the one who said, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Look, God understands the whole matter of sexual expression. And he sanctions it. But within certain guidelines, sexual relations between a married man and a married woman, that's... The guidelines are pretty simple. The boundaries are clear, are they not? Of course, this idea of our sexuality, Jesus took it to another level when he said, if a man looks at a woman to lust after her, he's already committed adultery in his heart. Wow, that's tough, isn't it, men? We've already committed adultery in our heart when we look at a woman and lust after her. Do any of you ever have that problem? I'm speaking the male portion of the audience and maybe to some of the women too, but primarily the men here. Do you ever have that problem when you're watching something on TV or you're watching something in a movie or you're looking at the Internet and all of a sudden you find yourself faced with something that maybe by your choice or maybe accidentally you find yourself in front of something that is pornographic? Does that ever happen to you? Do you know, we're not to make provision for the flesh, is what the Bible said. If you want to walk by the Spirit and have the victory, you've got to be diligent, vigilant, and actually ruthless when it comes to matters like this. You've got to get off the cable if the cable is causing you to constantly make provision for the flesh. You've got to disconnect the Internet if the Internet is something that constantly causes you this problem. Let's go to another thing that Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, flee immorality. That's a way of not making profession for the flesh, right? Get out of there. In chapter 10, verse 14, he says, flee idolatry. And here again, my eyes kind of lit up. I said, I wonder if that's the same word that Paul uses as the fourth word in the list he gives regarding the deeds of the flesh. And lo and behold, it is idolatry in 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Idolatry in Galatians 5, 19. The same word. And remember what we discovered that word suggests. It's when I choose to worship any other thing or any other God, if I make an idol out of a thing or a supposed God, I do it, and many of us do it. And we do it thinking we can get security from that. could be money. We get our identity from that. It could be the things we buy with money. I'm committing idolatry. So, what do we do? We disassociate ourselves from those things or those situations or those people that would put us in a situation where we are 
providing opportunity for our flesh. And remember, what is our flesh? It's our unsurrendered self. It's my personality apart from the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. So, here's number one. What do I need to stop? In order to walk by the Spirit. You want victory? You want to be who God created you to be? Well, I know you do. You wouldn't be here this morning if you did not. Well, what do we have to do? We have to stop providing opportunities for the flesh to act out. Here's the second thing we need to stop. We need to stop letting sin rule our lives. Look at Romans 6. If you'll turn back over to Romans 6 for a moment. In Romans 6.12, the Bible says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. In both cases, these do nots would be translated more properly this way. Stop letting sin rule your life. Stop. Presenting the members of your body, that would be my hands, my eyes, my feet, my ears, my mouth. Stop presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. And do not go on presenting these things to the Lord. You know the word translated instrument there twice in these two verses is a word which at its most basic meaning means weapons. You and I no longer have to be ruled by sin. Why? Because God gave Christ to us who became sin on our behalf so that we are free from the rulership and the reign of sin. We just have to let sin understand that. So when I'm being tempted to sin, I know the Bible is clear. It says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I know the Lord has given me an out. And besides that, I have the power over sin. Sin no longer has power over me. There are three major aspects of our salvation. You know them. Justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. We are in a relationship with God now through what Christ has done for us that causes the Father to see us as being just as perfect as Jesus Christ is. That's what the Bible says. You might say, hey, wait a minute, I'm far from that. I understand that. But from God's vantage point, if you're in Jesus Christ, what He has done for you has made you perfect in your relationship to God. There is a gap. I understand that. There's the behavior gap between who I am in Christ and who I am in my flesh. But remember, I don't have to be dominated anymore by my flesh because Christ has come to rule in my life. And that leads to the second aspect of our salvation. It's sanctification. What happens when I'm made right with God by what Christ has done? There's no condemnation for me. In the book of Isaiah, understanding what was coming down the corridors of time, Isaiah speaks for God. And God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake. That's interesting, that idea. Again, For my sake, he says, I blot out all your transgressions and remember your sins no more. Is that awesome? 
that when you received Jesus Christ, what did he do? Jesus paid for your sins. He blotted that out from the memory of God. That is awesome. That's freeing, isn't it? But we have sanctification, which is the idea of being set apart for God's use. God sets us apart. And that frees us from, and this is what I'm talking about right now, and what the Lord's telling us, more importantly, through his word. I'm free from the power of sin. I don't have to sin anymore. Nor do you. So we need to serve notice to sin. You're no longer ruling me. And you might say, you're a little crazy, Mike. Well, maybe I am. But we talk to sin. Talk to it. Paul personifies it really here in this text. It's like sin is an entity that has a mind and a will. So we talk to sin. And we say, sin, you're no longer going to reign in my mortal body that I should obey obey your lust, and I'm not going to present the members of my body to sin as weapons of unrighteousness anymore. Now, let's think about this. My eyes, let's just take my eyes for an example, or yours. Do you ever sin with your eyes? We've already established men have a great tendency to sin with their eyes. We all know that. But think about other ways we sin with our eyes. I can remember my mother saying to me many times, if looks could kill. And she wasn't telling me about her looks. She was telling about mine. We can kill people with our eyes, can't we? Why, sure we can. We certainly can. So let's think together about that. We don't have to let sin reign in our bodies. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. This is the third, look at the third thing that we need to stop. What's the first thing? I need... If I'm going to maintain a steady walk in the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, I'm going to have to stop offering opportunities for the flesh to express itself in my life. I'm also, secondly, going to have to stop letting sin rule my life. And thirdly, I'm going to have to stop letting the world squeeze me into its mold. This is the way J.B. Phillips translates the first part of Romans 12:2 In the New American Standard, as we were reading it, Drew was reading it from the English Standard Version. It's very similar to the New American Standard Version. Verse 2 of Romans 12 says, Stop, is what it literally says in the grammar of the Greek language. Stop being conformed to this world. Stop it. Conformity to the world. Do you find yourself being conformed to the world? And you might say, well, what exactly is the world? In 1 John, the Bible says, chapter 2, it says, the lust of the eyes, that has to do with wanting things, materialism really, the lust of the flesh, which is not simply limited to sexual behavior that's unlawful before God, but it's any God-given natural drive that is expressed outside the boundaries that God has established for expressing. Whether it's eating or exercising or whatever, those things would be in that category. And the third thing is what is described as the boastful pride of life. Wanting to be somebody. I remember looking at an annual of a former church member of mine when I went to my first church. And I was in his home, and he had his high school annual 
on the coffee table. I turned to his name. I looked at it. And his desire, every graduating senior could write out beside his or her name something that he or she desired. This is what he wrote. I want to be somebody. Well, that's a picture of the boastful pride of life. We think we get our sense of significance by being somebody. Well, the way we are somebody is in Christ, correct? He's the one who gives us a sense of, well, being and purpose. So here's the third thing. Stop being conformed to the world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Now, let's go from the negative, all these stop, 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 to some positives. I need to implement certain habits into my life. The first of which, and if you'll go back to Romans 6 for a moment, that should still be fresh in our minds. In Romans 6, the first thing is that I am to present myself to God as a weapon of righteousness. Now, that's a little hostile maybe to you. It's not like we've got to go out and blow people away. That's not in the DNA of Christ, is it? It's not in the DNA of being a follower of Jesus Christ either. But look at the last part of verse 13. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Would you look at verse 11 of Romans 6? Even so... Keep on, is literally what it says, keep on considering yourselves to be dead to sin. That's, I don't have to do anything sin wants me to do anymore. I'm dead to sin. But what? Alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'm alive. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. How many things have become new? All things have become new. I need to present myself to God. And Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So we present ourselves to the Lord. We say, Lord, I surrender. We have a song which we sing periodically, I surrender all. Lord, I surrender all. And that very well fits what Paul says by the Spirit of God in the latter part of 13. But present yourselves. Now, heretofore, all these commands have been present tense commands, but at this point it's not. It's a decisive act. You and I have to make a decisive act, a decision that says, I'm making a clean break with sin. Clean break. And I'm making a clean break with the world. A clean break. I'm making it here. I'm declaring. I'm making this kind of commitment. I've decided to follow Jesus. This is another hymn which we grew up with, some of us. That's the idea. I'm making this decision. A more contemporary expression of this is, I've decided to live like a believer, turn my back on the deceiver. I'm tempted to sing it, but I won't. <laughs> it's a great little song. It runs through my mind a lot. That's the idea. Make a decisive commitment to turn your back on the sin and the flesh and the world. We must do that if we're going to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. And 
we yield ourselves to the Lord. And I say with my eyes, Lord, what can I do with my eyes? You know, Lord, my eyes have been instruments of unrighteousness. Lord, I want my eyes to be instruments of righteousness. Well, instead of killing people with the way I've looked at them, what can I do? Have you ever been loved by people through their eyes? I've noticed from time to time when I'm just talking to people, the part I really look at is their eyes. Isn't that right when we talk to people? I mean, we see other parts of people, but mainly it's their eyes. And we can build people up just by the expression which comes out of our eyes. What about reading the Bible? Is that a good way to use your eyes? Why, sure. There are lots of things. One man said last night when I asked for response from the congregation when I was teaching on this, he said, look for opportunity to do that which is good. Wow. That's a good way to use the eyes, right? Think about the various parts of your body. Here's a good exercise. Tomorrow or today, don't wait till tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. You've got today, though. Today, when you go home and you begin to reflect on this message, write down all the parts of your body that have been used by you as weapons of unrighteousness. And on the other side, write an alternative. Repent of those things and replace those things that were wrong uses of the member or members of your body with those things which are constructive. If you haven't tried it, don't knock it. It's a way to enable you to begin to walk by the Spirit consistently. That's what we're aiming for, isn't it? Maintaining a consistent walk in and by the Holy Spirit of God. Well, the second thing that we need to institute as a habit in our lives is to set our minds on things above. In Romans 12, after Paul has commanded the Romans to stop conforming to this world, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, From time to time I'm talking to people who aren't believers and they're honest enough to say, you know, I just think all you Christians are brainwashed. Have you ever heard anyone say that? I just think y'all are all brainwashed. And when I say to them, I say, you know, you're right. We need our brains washed. Because they're full of misconceptions and they're full of stuff that is not good. And our minds need to be washed. In fact, in Ephesians 5, I don't say this to those people, but you know in Ephesians 5, husbands are told to wash their wives with what? The water of the Word. That's how our minds are renewed. Our minds are renewed, and then the Lord gives us direction, and we follow Him. And the flip side of this, this could be... a a sixth thing we need to do, or maybe the backside of renewing our mind. The Bible says in the book of Colossians, let us keep on setting our minds on things above. What's above? Well, God's above, right? Certainly. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We know the Word of God is so important, isn't it? 
And this is the thing that could be a separate deal, but don't get too worried about how many there are. Just obey the Lord in these areas. And what you're going to discover is you're going to have victory. You're going to walk in victory if you do these things. You're going to walk in the Spirit. You will keep running well. That's our desire. Let us keep running well. When Paul got to the end of his life, he makes a statement that's a liberating statement for me to think about. It's something I aspire to, and I hope you do also. He says, I have finished what? The race. He had run. He kept running. I'm sure he got tired. We know he did. He got tired. He was burdened, he says in 2 Corinthians, with all the affairs of being the founder of so many churches. It burdened him. It was hard. It was heavy. But he kept trusting the Lord. He kept walking in the Spirit. Set your mind on things above. That has to do with the Word of God. In Colossians 3.16, this is awesome. Listen to it. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. And I suspected, I, I couldn't remember, I've translated this before, years ago. I suspected it would be the word rhema. Let the rhema of Christ. Because we know the word rhema is one of the two words which is used in the New Testament, translated by our English word, word. Sounds redundant, and it is, I realize that. But nevertheless, the rhema word is a spoken word for a specific situation. Some of you have heard rhema today. Some of what you have heard today through this teaching has resonated and is resonating with you. God's speaking to you. He brought you here to hear this. I didn't know who you were going to be here. I didn't know anybody but myself would be here. Drew, I think he'd be here. He's paid. Alan's here. I figured he'd be here. He'd pay. You know, those of us who are paid, we, this is a work day for us, so we have to come. But to my surprise, it's not that word. It's the word lagos, which is about the entire body of work we call the Bible. All of it. Let all of it richly dwell within you. I could not help but remember what the psalmist writes in Psalm 119.11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. One of the translations says, I have treasured your word in my heart. Do you treasure the word of God? I was in conversation last week with a young man who's had a spiritual awakening. He grew up in church. In fact, I remember when he was born, he was... Born 34 years ago, his mother and father were members of the church I pastored on the east side. He was baptized after I was out of his life, but he was baptized at the age of six, but he didn't take. He really didn't know what he was doing. It was not until he was in his late 30s after many years, late 20s rather, after many years of wandering that he finally realized he was not born again and he gave his life to Christ. And he, after four years of struggling, he said, I am desperate. I don't know if I'm really a Christian because I have potty mouth is the way he described it. I say things that I regret. I know they're wrong. No sooner are they out of my mouth. And I say, Lord, help me never to do them again. And then lo and behold, I do them again. The flesh was winning in his life. As we talked about it, and we met, he and his wife and I met for a couple of days because he travels with his work and he's out of town for a couple of weeks and I wanted to spend some time with him. And the second time we met, he said, this sounds awful, but I, I actually lust after the Word of God. 
And the word translated lust in our Bible, in the New Testament, literally, it's not a bad word. It means strong desire. What makes something wrong is what we lust for. And he's lusting for the Word of God. My own mentor, when he came to Christ at the age of 18, he told me how he would read his Bible. He could not put his Bible down. He was in love with the Lord and therefore in love with the Word of the Lord. And so he was letting the Word of Christ richly dwell within him. He had treasured the Word of God in his heart. He had hidden God's Word in his heart. Mandarin Chinese translates it with this word, chiseled. It's the idea of something being chiseled into granite, chiseled into our heart. And what he would do, he would read and read, and his mother would come in. He was a freshman in college, and he was still living at home in Fayetteville, Arkansas, where he went to the U of A. And his mother would come in and tell him, turn out the light. It's time you went to bed. It was about 11 o'clock. Well, what he would do, he would do what his mother said, but what she did not know, he had a flashlight. And he pulled the covers up over his head, and he would read for hours more. He was so hungry for God's Word. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let me be real honest. If you will just do this one thing, if you will obey Colossians 3.16 in understanding what you will do, you will walk by the Spirit because who authored the Scripture? The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible, right? And so He will take the Word of God and He will use the Word of God to make us like Christ. The Word of the Lord will be in us. We'll be set apart, sanctified. Now, here's the last thing. And understand that there's overlapping of all these things. I realize that, but we won't stay long here. It's critically important, though, that I mention it. We, according to Ephesians 5.18, are to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Or maybe you're a person here. It's possible you wandered in here, and you're like those whom Paul encountered at Ephesus, the story is recorded in the 19th chapter of Acts. And he said, I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is God. And He's come to indwell us. The Bible says, what? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? The Holy Spirit is in us if we know Jesus. If we don't have the Spirit of Christ, Paul writes in Romans 8 9, we don't belong to Christ. In other words, we're not saved. I'm not trying to raise any alarm in your mind and heart, but if you receive Christ, He came to live in your heart by His Spirit, and He is to fill our lives. That means that we're to be under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. That is to be the way we walk by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the power because He's present in our lives. And when we yield ourselves to Him, He leads us. I like what... One writer says, I think it's A.W. Tozer, he says this. He says, there is no special deluxe edition of Christianity that's for a certain elite group. It's the Spirit-filled life for all of us where we say, Holy Spirit, take control of my life. Submit to me. 
is what the Spirit of God says. You may wonder why I haven't referred to the devil. I don't think I've mentioned his name in this entire message. You might think, well, he's our biggest enemy, isn't he? I don't think so. He's more than formidable. But I don't think he's our big enemy. My biggest enemy and yours is my flesh, my unsurrendered self. That's the key. The Bible says in James chapter 4, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Then it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Do you know, our being filled with the Spirit depends on our submitting ourselves to the Spirit of God. And then we have victory over the devil. You're not going to have it unless you're submitted. You can forget about it. You're not going to be victorious over the devil, your flesh, sin, or the world. But the good news is we can, we can walk by the Spirit. Otherwise, we would not be commanded to. And as Galatians 5.16 says, it says that if we walk by the Spirit, we will in no way ever, never will we fulfill the desire of the flesh. You want the victory? You want that kind of life? I do. And I'm sure you do too. Let me finish with some questions. Why do we lie sometimes? Why are we dishonest? Well, many answers to that question. But one could be because we believe by lying, self can get an advantage in some situation we find ourselves in. We see this so much in the presidential race where people are lying and then they're calling other people liars. And it just goes on and on and on. It's ridiculous. That's the biggest expression of flesh I've seen in a long time. It happens once every four years. It does. And there are some godly people who are aspiring to the office, but even they find themselves breaching over into fleshly demonstration too. Well, here's another question. Why... Do people commit adultery? Because it makes their unsurrendered self feel good. That's why. It's about feeling, isn't it? Sure it is. Why do we find ourselves being very touchy at times? Do you ever get touchy? And uh, here's the reason. We get touchy because our unsurrendered self is not being catered to. In other words, myself is not getting his way. And he wants his way. Let me be specific. I want my way. It's my flesh. And here's the last thing. Do you ever envy someone else's success? Why? It's because someone is getting more attention than my flesh. That's why my unsurrendered self is envious and jealous because somebody else is getting the attention. My question for you today, if you haven't figured it out so far, is have you surrendered your life to the Lord? Have you? Would you bow your head? If you haven't, understand the battle that's going on in your heart between the Spirit of God and your own unsurrendered self, your flesh. 
And would you ask the Lord to take control of your life right now? In a decisive moment, you say, Lord, I am done with letting sin rule my life. I am done with living an unsurrendered life. I give my life as a living sacrifice to you, Lord. I surrender all. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, individually and collectively. Help us not to be satisfied with something less than your best. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.